0: This week on Jordan and Jake.
1: You said the Star Circle Banner, and I remember I always used to like try to find the D linemen that I was going to be going against and see if they looked like nervous or mad or anything like to tip off the way my game was going to go. And I
0: always tried to kneel down Directly underneath the centers behind, Jeff Mitchell reamed me out on the sideline because I took the snap, took two steps back and knelt down, then did it again. So instead of rushing for over 200-whatever, it ended up being like 198. Here are your Panther Hall of Honor members, Jordan Gross and Jake DeLome. Well, Jake, now we've
1: got a game under our belts. You were in the booth doing your thing. I was watching from the comfort of my home in Idaho. What'd you see from the booth? How, how did it go? I mean, I, I told you that I was going to have a scouting report ready for you, and the scouting report just said A plus, job well done, man. I got nothing for you. You did a great job.
0: Well, I appreciate that. I thought it, it felt good. I um, listen. I'm, I'm not going to lie. There was some nerves, but, but in a good way. I mean, it was a sunslash stadium, and whenever the national anthem was playing, I, I would catch myself rocking back and forth. Like when I played like the nerves inside, you know, that feeling that you just can't wait to get out there. Yeah, man. And yeah. that's what it felt like. And the game started and it literally, it, it, it ended. It was like, it went by so fast. Um, and, you know, Mixon, he's okay. You know, I mean, he's, he's all right. (laughs) Having to deal with someone like him, you know, you just got to overcome, you know, overcome it.
1: That's awesome. When I, you said the star single banner, and I remember I always used to like try to find when I'm standing there, I would rock as well. And I was a hand on my heart guy, but I would always try to find the D linemen that I was going to be going against and see if they looked like nervous or mad or anything like to tip off the way my game was going to go. Is that what you did? Did you, like, look over to the other booth for the visiting team and be like, it's on, guys, let's do this? You know what? I never looked
0: at because you you, you looked at just the defensive end. I had to look at right. all 11. So, that, that wasn't going to work for me. I, I was just – I was hand on the heart, listen to the mu- listen to the, uh, the national anthem and just kind of get ready to play. I mean, that was kind of my he- deal. It was no, yeah, like
1: you usually ha- you had a camera right up your nose too. Usually during that for the pre- for the pregame feed for TV, so you had to watch what you were doing. But uh, when I was watching at home, Jake, it seemed to me, and I, and I saw some of this on the internet too, that the, like the seats weren't that full for a lot of the game. And I heard like maybe it was hot, maybe there was ticket issues. How was the vibe of Bank of America Stadium? I know they put a lot into getting you know the stadium. To first-class facilities, which I think it is, but it seemed like it was a little quiet in there at times.
0: Well, one, it was very warm outside. Obviously, we're inside. We had the windows up so we could feel it, but it the crowd was into it. It was a loud crowd. Now, I was typically, obviously, just looking directly into the Rams' uh, side of the field, and I was directly into the sun. So there were maybe a, some empty seats, but it wasn't a ton. I think more so, third quarter at the beginning yes empty seats people are still getting concessions and things of that nature but i didn't find it overly bad that was that that's just my opinion
1: well and the flip side of that jake and i don't know if you feel the same but i always just felt like bank of america stadium was a special place on night games and now you've got a night game already a primetime game on thursday division game all that stuff uh, I expect it to be exciting. I mean, you talk me through the way it felt to you when we would play some of those night games in that stadium. Well,
0: night games are special because, one, whenever it's a night game, you know the whole world's watching. And every player, no matter what they might say, there's just something special knowing every one of your peers is watching. You're the only show in town. But that stadium, dark. You know, nighttime. You just feel the excitement and enthusiasm, but also it starts at eight twenty. So you had all day, and you just couldn't wait to go out and finally play. And listen, this game means a lot. Both teams start zero and one. The last thing you want to do is start zero two. So this is there's a lot riding on this game.
1: Well, and and I want to talk about this this Bucks game because it's a huge one for a lot of reasons, like you just said, but take me back through last week jake i watched the game i thought our defense played awesome i thought a quiet a quiet uh spotlight should have been on james bradbury he had a great game at corner brian burns you know the rookie had a good game what'd you see defensively on out of the panthers when you were calling it last week
0: i think the thing that i noticed probably more uh most about the panthers last week and it's something i would watch during the game and i would kind of tell mixon Brian Burns is so close to getting the strip sack fumbles. He is so long and his bend underneath the tackle, and he was very close numerous times. Bradbury obviously played a great game, great job on the undercut for the interception. We played well offensively. And this is my takeaway in leaving that game. The stadium and the team kind of just listening to the uh, interviews after, they felt like, gosh, we let one get away. And this is the defending NFC champions who are still a very, very good football team with more weapons that they played with this past Sunday than they ended up the year with, getting a Cooper Cup back. Ty Gurley obviously played a whole lot more than the Super Bowl. So this is a very talented team that, in essence, it felt like we gave one away. And and defensively, I thought for the most part, we did a very good job. They came out in the second half and they had a really good drive. They went back to back on the same play that obviously they must have picked up on something. And a quick score in the fourth quarter, they just kind of broke the huddle, spread it to the line and and quick counted it. And we were trying to get lined up, but it was inside the 10-yard line. And we just, you have to be so precise. And golf was able to get the ball in there. So I thought we played well, but it just, it felt like an empty feeling like, man, we let one get away
1: yeah i felt the same way and, and and you can't get too disappointed in losing a close game to like you said the defending nfc champions you know and but the the total flip side of that is this game on thursday who the bucks looked rough last week with san francisco at home and now they're coming to your house on a short week like we got to win this game but before we talk about that i i you probably don't well i know you don't watch as much of the o-line d-line uh the fights and the competitions going on down there but did you know so brian burns pass rushed a lot against from our defensive right offensive left side against andrew whitworth from yep. the uh for the rams andrew whitworth graduated high school in the year 2000 okay yeah. brian burns was born in the year 1998 I just think that's – I can't believe that Andrew Whitworth at age 37 playing offensive tackle is out there blocking guys 16 years younger than him. It was awesome. Awesome to watch.
0: That's an awesome stat. I'm going to give you something very trivial that you probably never even heard of about Andrew I do Whitworth. Want you to. I want you to because
1: I'm a big fan of his.
0: I'm a big well, fan. Well, I am too. I've gotten to know him and had a long conversation with him after the game. But Andrew Whitworth is the largest – Child born in the state of Louisiana at over Ever. 30 pounds. <laughs> yes, because well, he's, he's a making... West, Monroe, West Monroe guy, played at LSU, and for some strange reason, I remember hearing that and reading that, and that stuck into my head. Why I'll never know. Well, he made
1: good use of that early head start on size because the man's a giant, and at 37 years old to be a starting left tackle, that I can tell you firsthand, that is a hard job, and it blows my mind. And all of his accolades I – I, we won't get on a tangent, but all of his accolades and Pro Bowls and everything have come at the back end of his career. It's just – it's awesome. And Brian Burns – so Brian Burns to do – to be productive against that O-line made me think that Brian Burns is somebody, you know, that's just got incredible upside. But also Christian McCaffrey had a great game. I know anybody who had him in fantasy football – I'm a fan. Of, I do fantasy football now, Jake. I know you're not going to believe it, but I'm in a couples league, and it's a big deal in our household. And I don't have Christian McCaffrey, but the people that do are excited. So how do you what, – what does Christian McCaffrey do that you see that makes him be able to have the ball – get the ball in space so many times and be so productive despite the fact that he's got a big target on his chest?
0: Well, one, I think just his vision when he's running the football, and there's no dancing. It is one cut downhill and makes a move. But it's very similar when watching him play, and the last couple of years I've noticed it. Whenever Reggie Bush was with the Saints, and you know Reggie came in with all this hype, number two overall pick in the draft. But our defense, being Carolina, when we would prepare for them, we would always hear our linebackers, and all they worried about was where's Reggie Bush, where is twenty-five in the passing game and the running game. I think defenses are the exact same way. With Christian McCaffrey, because a couple of times when he would split out or he'd make he'd run a route out the backfield, they would converge on him, and they were so worried about knowing exactly where he's at. And that's the thing—he still gets open. He's still getting the ball, and he just—he had many great runs the other day. But the touchdown run with Clay Matthews hanging on the right leg, and twenty-six, the backup safety who had came in for Eric Weddle, hanging on the other leg at the two-yard line, and he stays up and then carries him into the end zone. We don't give him enough credit for how tough of a guy he is because we all know his moves and his speed and his hands, but he is a great inside runner of the football.
1: Yeah, and he's just so fun to watch. It's like sometimes he had that he had that batted pass he caught and ran for like five yards, and it just seemed like it was business as usual after he got up from getting tackled. And I would have been, oh man, did you see that? You know, trying to find somebody to high five or have your business out there. It's awesome to watch. But talk me through, Jake. So now we're going to the division uh, against the Buccaneers, and we've had some awesome night games. We ran for, we ran for three hundred. If I, tell me if, if you remember this right. We had a Monday night football game where we ran for 300 yards against them, and then when we did a kneel to victory at the end, we went
0: back under 300. Is that correct?
1: Do you remember that?
0: Uh, yes, I think you're correct. And I always tried to kneel down directly underneath the centers behind because early on, my first year starting, Jeff Mitchell reamed me out on the sideline because I took the snap and I took two steps back and knelt down. Then did it again. Yep. So instead of rushing for over two hundred, whatever, it ended up being like one ninety eight. So from that point on, whenever we had kneel to victory, as soon as I got the snap, I would almost try to replace where the ball was where, with my knee, just knowing so we don't lose any yards.
1: Is that tr- can you actually get a neutral kneel down though? It seems like it would have to be. Some it would kind have of to
0: be me- negative yards. Try- you try to limit it, limit it as much as you can. Yeah. So, um, but I do remember the Monday Monday night game. That was a fun night. Oh,
1: wonderful. That's when it's great to play football is when you can do that at home, but all right, Bruce Arians, new head coach, obviously. And he had a lot of time in, um, Arizona before this, what do you think of him? What do you think of the outing that they had in his first game? And then, you know, what do you, How do you think that the Buccaneers are going to bounce back from that tough loss at home?
0: Okay, so watching this film of the Niners, the Buccaneers had every opportunity to win that football game. They had a couple of touchdowns called back on penalties. Uh, They threw two pick-six interceptions for touchdowns and every opportunity. Um, Jameis still is a little loose with the football. I will say that. Mike Evans was not involved he barely got the football thrown to him. So I'm, gonna, I'm anticipating them trying to throw the football to Mike Evans and get him involved. That's my anticipation of this game. Jameis is going to try not to turn the ball over because that is a huge point of emphasis. And the media has beat up on it so far this week. So is he going to be tentative? I'm not, I'm not so sure of that. We'll, we'll find out soon enough. But defensively is where I was more impressed. Todd Bowles does a fantastic job of bringing pressure. But these guys play very hard on defense. and That was one thing that was evident on the film. They fly around. Levante David, is he's the energizer bunny. That linebacker is all over the place. And their first round pick out of LSU, the fifth pick overall, Devin White, is trying to do the same thing. That's how he played. But you can tell there was some rookiness to him. His fits weren't exact. He was a little late but they play hard, very, very hard. Well, Jake,
1: I want to talk a little bit about our D-line because obviously Bruce Irvin was not in the game on Sunday, and I've always thought he was a talented pass rusher, and maybe some of that comes from playing at Seattle in his younger days with the crowd noise and the big games there and all that. But Bruce Irvin was off the field, and Gerald McCoy, who is a – heck of a talented defensive tackle. He was on the field, maybe not as much as he would have liked in this last game, and now he's going to be coming back playing against his team of nine years. Um, Talk about what Bruce Irvin could bring to the table and talk about Gerald McCoy and what it's like to play against your old team.
0: Well, one, I hope we have Bruce. Not so sure if we're going to have him or not, but that would be a nice addition because the relentless um, play, that the motor that he has, it's only going to help our defense. But listen, Gerald McCoy, his emotions are going to be through the roof. You can downplay it as much as you want when you go play your ex-team, especially someone, I believe he was the third overall pick, nine or ten years in Tampa, multiple Pro Bowls, the face of the franchise in essence. His emotions are going to be through the roof, and he you anticipate him playing more because that's one thing that you heard coming out of the locker room in some of his quotes. Was that you know getting in a getting a feel getting in a rotation? So I would have a pretty good indication that he's going to be on the field a great deal um, Thursday night, and you know I would think that motor is going to be at full tilt.
1: Well, I can't wait to see
0: it. it's going to be a lot of fun. Last um, thing I got the, for you now. One, what about the ahead. tips? What about the tips he's going to give our other defensive linemen? He should know all the offensive linemen from Tampa and their weaknesses and what they can tip off, maybe something with Jameis's cadence and things of that nature. So hopefully I'm a big believer in those things. Hopefully those things can tip off. I know it's a different offense that he didn't go against, but still the cadence of a quarterback, the tips of the linemen, I think that all factors in. Jake, you say that about the scouting
1: report. And at the tips, and it makes me laugh because we would always have the guys that came in from other teams, the free agents, give us a scouting report when we were playing their old teams. They'd come in the old line room and they'd tell us, okay. Now some of them were super detailed, like, all right, this call means this, this hand signal means they're running this stunt or this blitz, and and we'd take notes like crazy. And then some guys would come in and they'd say, Yeah, this guy, this guy likes to, you know, he likes to rush the passer. This corner, you know, he likes to play off a little bit. (laughs) And and we'd always grade them back on their scouting reports and tell them if they were paying attention or not based on that. It's amazing how, to your point exactly, some guys could win a game for you based on the information, and some you almost had to plug your ears because the information was so bad.
0: Yeah, I asked a cornerback one time um, when I was in Cleveland. We claimed him off of waivers from a team, and we were playing the team. And it was actually, it was Tampa. He reclaimed it from Tampa, and I'm in Cleveland. And it was opening game. So I'm going over, hey, what what about hand signals for coverages and things of that nature? He goes, yeah, they just kind of would holler the coverage to me and I'd play it. I said, all right, thanks for the help. So (laughs) that didn't didn't help me uh, too much in that game.
1: Didn't it frustrate you too that, like, people could do that and survive in the NFL, and here you were like studying your butt off, trying to get every angle you could to win. And then there's some guys out there that are making tons of money just getting the coverage yelled to them,
0: man. It's it's awesome. It's awesome. Well, Jordan, think about it. We played a playoff game against the Giants in 2006, January of 06. And their, second, their linebackers were depleted. So I remember I would DVR like inside the NFL on HBO or one of those. And I, they had the sidelines, uh, the, the microphone on the sidelines. And I remember it was Brent Alexander it was a veteran secondary guy. He was given all the calls. So we went to the Meadowlands on the road in the playoffs, and we had run, pass, check with me every single play of the game. But I had all the signals from watching inside the NFL. And all I did was – I'd hurry up, we'd break the huddle, get to the line. I'd look at Alexander, he'd give the signal, and I knew if it was a one high look and we'd throw the ball or a two high look and we'd run it. And I think we beat him 23 to three or 23 to nothing. It was th- so little things like that help.
1: That's why I love you, Jake DeLome. And, and the, the flip side of that story is. Playing next to Jeremy Shockey one game against Jared Allen in the Minnesota Vikings, and Jer- Shockey's lined up next to me, and I try. It's a hard play action, and I tell Shockey a fake run block call. I say, "Shock triple, triple," and Jeremy Shockey says, "No, gross, it's a pass." <laughs> Jared Allen. Jared Allen moves to like a wide nine, almost out on the slot and rushes the passer with everything he's got. So yeah, you got to be careful who you talk to, that's for sure. But listen, man, good job last week. Make your corrections, get back in there and do the exact same thing. Cause I know from talking to Mick and I didn't talk to Zoe because they're loving you and they're loving you as well. And I'm loving to get to talk to you every week, man. It's making
0: my life better. So I appreciate well, it. It's, it's a lot of fun and week two, son. It's time to go. It's game time. <laughs>